listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Today, we have another Lutheran lady joining us, not totally in this virtual, in our virtual studio, which means we have a conversation happening today. It is a one question interview. I think it's been a while since we've done one of these. It really has. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to have another one question interview. These are always really great conversations with somebody who has a lot of experience in a very particular area. So Erin, who are we talking to today? Today, we are talking with Amy Scholes. I know that actually a lot of you guys probably already know her because Amy knows everybody. Everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I'm not. (laughs) So Amy is currently the Director of Church and Donor Relations for Lutheran Braille Workers. But we're not talking with her about that really today. <laughs> That's another conversation. Uh, exactly. It's a different. That's a different one. We are talking with Amy about what do Lutheran ladies need to know on the topic of caregiving. Mm. Yeah. Great topic. Yes. And Amy does have a lot of experience with this. She does not. I don't think consider your you don't consider yourself an expert, right? Goodness, no. I'm just in a boat with tons of people who are going through so many of the similar experiences I am. Yeah. So Amy, tell us, where do we start with this conversation? (laughs) What caregiving? Tell us about tell us about your story. How did God bring you to this point today where you are now? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me on. I'm just so thrilled to be a part of this. I've been a big fan and love following everybody in conversations on the Facebook page. So my journey started actually when I was 21. My father ended up being declared incompetent by the state of Colorado because he had had a stroke Um. and he needed a conservator and guardian. And that was me. I'm 21. 21, Just graduated from Concordia, Nebraska. At 21, had to take over this whole world that I did not know. My father was brilliant at business. He was a real estate agent on the side. So he had land, he had different annuities, he had different checking accounts and all of that. So at 21, I had to take over this whole thing. And also at the same point, I had to start also grieving my father because the father I knew was no longer there. Hmm. And the father I was taking care of, in a way, I went from a daughter-father relationship to a mom-kid relationship. I know that Mm. sounds weird, but that really is what it was. So for seven years, I had the honor of doing that. And it was hard. I was not in the same town as him. I was working for a couple of Concordia universities at the time. When he passed away, I was at Concordia Irvine, California, and he was in Colorado. So I was blessed beyond measure to be able to fly back, talk to him, do all those things. And again, when he passed, it was weird. I really felt like I had lost a child But I also felt incredible peace because he wasn't the person that was here on earth that I knew. And I knew God's will was done by just feeling that overwhelming sense of peace that only God can give when he Mm -hmm. passed. So let's fast forward. I'm 35 years old and I meet this really cute guy at a pastor's conference in the North Wisconsin. (laughs) I was working for Concordia, Wisconsin at the time and he was an alum. So, you know. Got to start a good conversation that way. It wasn't until I was hook, lined, and sinkered that I found out he was 18 years older than me. He mm. deceived me with his young looks. And I told him, those Lutheran pastors, you got to watch out for them. Ah! 
Um, but, you know, God made it clear to both of us after we met October 1st of 2007, we were engaged by December 31st of 2007 and married May 31st of 2008. And that whole time we were about five hours apart. Wow. So really, we didn't spend more than three weeks together until we got married. So my husband is just he's the kindest, most wonderful guy, but he also has type one diabetes. He's had that for over 50 years. He was 11 when he was diagnosed, but he wow. is very good at taking care of himself. His numbers have always been great, you know, little hiccups, which a lot of type ones have. Mm -hmm. But then this past April, he had pneumonia and it was bad. It was really bad. And when he ended up going into the hospital, he ended up being on a ventilator. Mm -hmm. And because of that, he was already in a, a stage three kidney disease because of his type one, but he was able to keep that going for a long time because he took such good care of himself. His numbers were good. He was eating right. But when he went on the ventilator, it made the kidneys stop. Oh. And since then, God bless, he was able to get off within three days of being on the vent. The next day, he was feeding himself. The next day after that, he was already walking it obviously took a toll on his body. We ended up going to rehab for a while, but he actually exceeded everybody's expectations and got out pretty quickly. But with the dialysis, the kidneys just needed help. And so with that, we've learned a lot about that. And we had doctors tell us, we are 95% sure the kidneys are going to come back. And if any of you three know, and also the amazing listeners, doctors usually don't say stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. But we were kind of like, Okay, but there is just something in my gut that told me I don't think that's going to be the case. And since our journey, Mike actually was taken off dialysis because his numbers did not really warrant him being on dialysis. Okay. But then he developed acidosis and he actually had an event while preaching. He kind oh. of froze up and that's when the acidosis made itself known. So let's not just forget, I'm concerned about my husband, but holy cow, when you see somebody who's up speaking in front of people, that added a whole other level of terror. So yeah. they ended up putting him back on dialysis. And currently he's usually when you're on dialysis and everybody's journey is different. So I'm sure we also have listeners who have loved ones that are on this. But for Mike, he only goes about three hours and 15 minutes, just has his blood cleaned, very limited fluid removal. His blood pressure is good. Everything is great. So the part where I come in is that my husband, we have a joke. I am type A. And he is type Z. <laughs> he would actually, I had to force him to go to the doctor that April 3rd. And it was funny, even the doctor said, you know, Mike, we're not experts on everything. It's okay to ask us tons of questions. And I have a joke that if something were to happen to me, of course, of course, he is an emergency person to talk to. But I also have a good friend who's like me. <laughs> he <laughs> I could be on the ventilator and they might say, Mr. Scholes, we're so sorry. We don't think she's going to be there. And he'd be like, all right. You know, and my friend would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's ask <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's what I am for Mike. I, oh, you know, I am the one that asks the million questions. We're really blessed with doctors who know that I'm not questioning them. I'm just asking questions. I have a binder. I call it Mike's kidney binder. <laughs> we keep track of his blood pressure. And this is something too, just so you know, I mean, urination is a big thing. My 
I have a friend from college who said, I need to make a t-shirt that says, make urination normal again. Um, <laughs> I but no, I mean, the fact that Mike is urinating and we keep track of that to show the doctors because that's how they know if he needs to have fluid removed. So I do a lot of that. I am the person mm-hmm. who really, Mike, it's good that Mike's in the room, but you probably wouldn't even need to be in the room because I'm the one asking all the questions. <laughs> Just give you that medical power of attorney and you're good to go. <laughs> well, yeah. I have it. No, so... <laughs> Yeah. And I do want to say, I told Mike I was going to talk to you guys. And he said, well, if you're going to talk about caregiving, please share that the care receiver loves you very much and appreciates you. Aww, and that's good. Because yeah. that's always the case, too. If anybody who's yeah. in caregiving knows, the patient always isn't the easiest. And it, mm-hmm. it does cause conflict. <laughs> well, that's, that's a follow-up question. I know. This is a one-question interview. We already asked her one question. But, you know, we'll call this, like, question one point. Now it's a conversation. Now it's a conversation. (laughs) conversation. So yeah, that's a that's a really important question. When you are in this caregiving relationship, usually that is layered on top of a previous relationship, such Mm -hmm. as your relationship with your father, or in this case with your husband. How do you keep that original relationship strong even as you layer on this new, you know, dimension to it? Because that can't be easy. Well, he's just the cutest boy I know. And I joke all the time from that movie, you know, I I married you so I could kiss you anytime I want. I mean, I think (laughs) that's where I'm grateful, you know, that God has continued that, that I do look at him as a husband. I I mentioned my father in the child relationship because that was something, especially when I met Mike, knowing he was type one, I was like, okay, I know down the road there might be health issues, but I do have to give God all glory to that because we have been able to still be husband, wife and be a team. And I will say throughout this whole thing, I just, you know, when I get sad and angry and upset, it's because I just want him to have the best life possible. Mm. That I truly, if I could switch places with them, I would, you know, we've talked about, of course, kidney donation. We've talked about all that. He's actually retiring at the end of December. We, we live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Maybe I should kind of say that real quick as I'm in my home. And we're going to be moving, God willing, to St. Louis because our house is sold, God willing, again, closing will happen soon and such. So, you know, we have all of these layers that we're doing to find, especially for him, like good health care and things like that. But I think for him, just again, you know, I'm so excited that he is retiring early. He's been a pastor for 39 and a half years. He can just kind of enjoy life. We don't have to worry about all the church things. I mean, we have a great congregation and school. We are blessed beyond measure. Mm -hmm. But I think taking that layer off of it is going to be great because then he can do what he wants to do and enjoy life and things like that. But we work really hard. And, you know, that's the thing, too, though. It's not all (laughs) not all roses. I've done so much research in caregiving because after Mike went on the ventilator, it really scared me literally to death. Mm -hmm. I, I will say, you know, we all pray and hope as Christians that when that reckoning comes where we really need to lean on our faith, the first thing I did is I went in the hallway that they were putting him on the vent. And I said, God, if this is it, I trust in you. He loves you. He preaches about you. And if you are going to take him, I accept that. I love you. It'll be good. If you are not going to take him, I'm going to continue to trust in you that this journey is going to be good, but I'm not going to lie to you, God. We're going to have a lot of hard conversations. (laughs) And I think that's one thing is that through this, I immediately went to counseling. 
because I needed to deal with that trauma of seeing him on the vent of how all that happened, then layer the kidney stuff, then layer, to be honest, a pastor where Aaron and Sarah are friends with me on Facebook. We're very transparent about Mike's health because there's so many involved people. So add that. And also hard conversations with God of how angry I am at him sometimes, mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. I worry, how you know, I get angry at Mike. Like I said, the research I've done, I've noticed couples who go through caregiving, Rachel, is like 75% end up in divorce. Now, that's a statistic I've seen from different places. So I probably should be careful not to quote stats if I can't list the sources. But being part of a lot of Facebook group, TikTok of caregiving, I see it. The Mm -hmm. frustration, the anger, all of that. And I am, like I said, a I'm a God girl. I I turned to God when I needed to at the lowest point of my life, but it doesn't mean I'm not human where I just get so frustrated and I get so Mm -hmm. angry. And I think that's a side of caregiving. Maybe we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we're here for, to talk about the things we need to talk about. Yeah, I, I know a lot of the people who are on your amazing Facebook page and listen to you, you know, my journey is different than somebody else's and their journey is different. So please know I'm not trying to do a one blanket fits all kind of right, thing. Here. Right, right. And I think too, we know God does not get mad when we worry. <laughs> you know, he created us. He knows our hearts. He knows my mind. He knows I trust in him. But man, it's it's been a hard time since that April 3rd when Mike went on the vent and mm-hmm. just saying to God, listen, I, I trust in you. The Taipei, you made me Taipei. <laughs> so help a girl out here and just let me know the next steps. And he's, you know, we see his his blessings in time, right? Mm-hmm. It's his time and he definitely gives yeah. those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're right. We aren't we aren't trying to have you be the one who is speaking for, you know, the, the whole representing caregivers as a whole. No, that's not fair. We are specifically interested in your experience as just a... As an example of what it's like. And so in your experience, what have you found to be, I don't know, what have you found to be the most challenging thing that surprises you that you didn't think was going to be, that you didn't think you wouldn't have expected this would be the hard thing, but it is. So I want to be careful on how to say this because I always want to lift up our medical community. I always say nurses are superheroes without capes. Again, we are blessed beyond measure by a team. But I think when it came and it comes to the dialysis, for me, it is incredibly frustrating. You know, Mike doesn't right now fit the profile, I guess, of a typical, I'm doing air quotes right now, typical dialysis (laughs) patient. Mm -hmm. At the same point, everybody who's on dialysis is a loved and adored child of God who deserves the best that that person should give. And I think the frustration for us is every issue Mike has had since April was a result of the care he w- was given. For example, you know, the acidosis. The doctor thought it was good to take him off dialysis. And obviously that was not the case. Now, I don't fault the doctor on that. But that whole time I was worried. My gut was saying to me, this isn't right. And unfortunately, it came to be true. We had an issue where Mike had high blood pressure all week. And they said, well, that's typical for a dialysis patient. He's not typical. And we ended up in the ER with his blood pressure at like 225 over Mm. 90. And thank God our kidney doctor is at the hospital we go to. And 
bless his heart, when he came in, he got an earful and he agreed. He said, nope, this shouldn't have happened. We should have treated it. We should have had the conversation. So that should have, could have, would have. That, Aaron, I think, has been the hardest for me. And please know, again, I'm not trying to throw our dialysis center under the bus by any means, but it is an honest thing. The other thing, too, is, you know, type ones are different than a type two diabetic. So when I talk to the dietitian or I do something, it's so bogus. (laughs) Type two. And, you know, God love Michael Paul Schultz. This man is eating plain chicken breast, lean turkey burgers. Salmon, tilapia, four ounces of that, these veggies, because there's only certain veggies and certain foods and certain fruits that these folks can have on dialysis. He can't have certain things. And mm. this man is eating it because he may wants I, to prolong whatever he can. May but, I just say you right there? I mean, just on behalf of all of our listeners out there who love flavor, you, good for him. <laughs> We're finding we're finding new things. I mean, he just had uh-huh. something with like a Chipotle and honey. Uh-huh. So that was exciting. And we've actually we're working with a dietitian company that they're all type one diabetics. Okay. And so, you know, we're trying to do the things we can to make it better. But I think again, that has just been the frustrating part is that I can't get to the one doctor who's the most important doctor in our lives right now, except yeah. for once a month when he does rounds. Now, granted, we can go to his office, leave him a message. He probably does that. He knows we are good people. So I think, Aaron, that has just been the frustration. And I I hear that a lot in the articles I've read. You know, I just Mm -hmm. read an article in the New York Times. I shared that with some folks, different things like that, of just the frustration caregivers have. And that is one thing. Mm -hmm. And again, though, I say this, if you are a doctor or nurse or anybody listening, I mean, again, it is not easy. I've told the center that. I said, if you're overworked and underpaid and frustrated, please tell me what I can do to advocate for you. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to write your manager. I'm happy to do that. But first, we need to focus on this guy. So when we move, we've already been blessed to, to, to hopefully find a new kidney doctor. And when I talked to them and they shared with me, oh, he sees every patient weekly. Oh, have you looked at this? Mm-hmm. Have you looked at that? I just started crying on the phone with her mm-hmm. because I think, I felt so hopeful because as Aaron, as you asked with my frustration, that frustration might be quelled. Mm-hmm. I'll still be frustrated, right. but maybe that won't be something that's just such a hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, you your your caregiving relationship with your husband is like this living organics thing. And you're up yeah. against a machine in terms of the healthcare system that is filled with wonderful people, but it's still a machine. And mm-hmm. To contrast those relationships, that does sound extremely frustrating. And I don't mean to negate your husband's wonderful diet by saying you. Just to simply say there are very few people out there. It's a credit to him. Very few people out there could maintain that diet and be cheerful about it. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like he's found (laughs) the the way. He doesn't. He doesn't do the jig when he pulls out a chicken breast and only has olive oil and maybe Mrs. Dash on it, you know, like, oh, what I can see. <laughs> no, but he just, you know, that's the thing is that I think too, as a caregiver, and that, that you know, you kind of help me lead to another point. I remember one time we were in the ER because Mike's blood sugars were odd. And I had a nurse come to me saying, listen, there's this couple in the next room. He's a type one, but he just doesn't he doesn't want to do the things and his wife is in tears. And I understand you and your husband, you know, he's a pastor and you're his advocate. Would you come talk to them? And so we did. Well, it was one of those where Mike could talk to the person saying, you know, why, you know, if you, if you eat like this or do this, 
this is what's going to happen. And the person was actually going to possibly lose a leg. And, you know, it was one of those where I just looked at the wife. I zeroed in on her and I saw her face and I just saw that she was like, I can't get him to do whatever. Now, again, that's not a criticism on him because Mm -hmm. I read this all the time. It's hard. Having a disease is hard. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what Mike goes through. I would hope I do as well as he does. So, I mean, that's between that. But my thing was, is that I do thank God I have a husband who does do those steps. Now, he'll tell you maybe not to my satisfaction all the time. And we have, you know, little conversations about that, but he does. And that to me, as I list frustration, I also list, holy cow, this guy is doing the work. Mm -hmm. And he does that because he loves our church. He loves the kids in our school and their families. He knows the most healthy he can be is good for them and also for me and for him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are the situations of these Facebook groups I'm in and such where I just hear the spouse say those things. And that's why I haven't, some of these Facebook groups I don't, I, I, I haven't really interacted much with because I don't, you know, I, I, I want to support them, but I don't want to get asked, well, how's your husband? You know, how oh, doesn't it frustrate you when he eats that? I'll be like, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, he's, but don't get me wrong. I mean, Mike will tell you he's the sinful person too. Like stubbornness, I found is he'll say pride and stubbornness is probably his trait that has come out with this where, mm. you know, he's like, I want to do it and I can do it. Like when he had that issue with the acidosis, I mean, we were in uh, worship in the middle of worship. I had to say, guys, I'm so sorry. And he continued on. And thankfully, between services, we had some loving friends who were members who said, you need to go to the hospital, please. You know, I'm banging him. I'm crying. I'm just so scared because that was terrifying. People are worried. And he comes around. But he'll tell you that that is the thing that has come out for him. Mm. I, I will just say, as a pastor's wife myself, telling a pastor in the middle of Sunday morning to skip the second service and go to the ER is not an easy conversation because they all want to be there for that second. <laughs> now, and if you can imagine, so imagine your husband having that moment where he's frozen, right? And that if he misses a word, your heart literally goes into your throat saying, oh my goodness, is he okay? You know, that's, those are the things that I have to say counseling has been awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. the, to not just deal with the trauma of what happened with the ventilator, but also the tools I need. So when I feel that anxiety come up, because I will say too, Erin, I think to answer your question as well, I'm a very high strung, you know, type A kind of person, but I've never really had a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and I always felt for people who would talk to me about that. And I now have a greater appreciation. I mean, Thankfully, I guess the way that I was told through my counselor, mine was kind of relational to the event that happened. So Mm -hmm. I'm not in counseling right now. You know, I got past that. But bless people who go through that because it it just was so it would just freeze me. And so for Mike retiring, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of excited that maybe that portion of my life because our people love him. See, that's the thing, right? These folks love him so much that they just want him to be good. But it's a lot on me sometimes because kind of like I, he's human. We're doing what we need to do. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Well, I don't have type one diabetes or a kidney issue, but I do have a chronic illness. And so mm-hmm. I relate to a lot of what you're saying about your husband of like, sometimes when you're sick all the time, you have a day where you're like, am I, I'm not actually that sick. I can do this. Thing. It'll be fine. It is generally not fine. <laughs> so like, I totally understand that. And like the frustration of dealing with a medical system that doesn't always 
It doesn't always quite live up to what you actually need in that moment. Like I get all of that frustration. What has the adjustment been like going through all of these things, having to deal with frustrations day to day, having good days, having bad days? What is the adjustment like to just kind of keep moving through each experience and learning from experiences and having to apply that and, you know, going through counseling and dealing with all of these life changes that when you have a chronic illness, it's kind of like constant life change. You're never really out of a life change situation. Mm-hmm. What is that adjustment, constant adjustment like? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say as somebody who listens to you, but also has the blessing of knowing you, you know how I feel about you and that you have this chronic thing. And I pray for you and so many others all the time because we have no idea what people are going through and it is hard. So thank you for your words. I think that that helped me to make sure that I know, you know what I mean, that I'm not alone in the boat. You know, every day I've had to learn is going to be different. I think Mm -hmm. I will say one I never took for granted my life. I knew how incredibly blessed I was. I wasn't that person who didn't know what she had until it was gone. And I think because now I know that my life is nothing like what it was before because of this, that is something that I have had to work on and accept the new normal, say you. I will say with Mike's type one, hand to to God, I was never really involved that much in his care. He has a continuous glucose monitor that, I have a lot of friends who have kids and spouses that, you know, have that on their phone. They mm-hmm. could see the blood sugar in real time. For 15 mm-hmm. years, I was not that person because mm-hmm. Mike controlled his type one very well. I now have that app. <laughs> it is a blessing and it is the biggest curse. I, I you know, <laughs> I, and God bless him. Did you, did you, did you take a sugar tad? Do you know that you're going down? Do you know that you're at 80? And- <laughs> You know, he's kind of like, okay, yes, I mean, Amy, I'm taking care of it. But you know, when he's up there preaching, he doesn't know maybe that he's going lower, which again, that's the thing about type one. There's no set way. So Mm. so I think with the type one, ironically, that has not been, I guess, because I'm used to it forever. It's the the kidney stuff, you know, the dialysis Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he's in a chair from 920 to 1220. He's, we can't plan things you know, on those days. I think the other thing that's been an adjustment is we loved to go out to different restaurants, especially living in Las Vegas. Just so you know, locals don't go on the strip a lot, but we are a city and we have great restaurants. We don't do that anymore because mm-hmm. I don't know how they've prepared the food. Mm-hmm. Will it have too much sodium, right. potassium, phosphorus? So I think I that has been the hardest part is how every day when we have a good day, when we come back and like, for example, they did his labs yesterday and we were looking at the numbers compared to last month and they were great compared to what we were last month. And even though last month we were told that was good, to see those today, it's a good day. I'm like, yes, that was a good number. And so every day is different. And I'll tell you, you once you, I feel like when we have a bad day, it's like the complacency. How did I get sucked into that? Where I should know that every day is going to be different. And luckily, we really do have more good days than bad. But isn't it humanistic that we focus on the bad more than the good? Mm -hmm. Very. (laughs) So, you know, I have to be very aware of focusing on the good and being grateful for that. And where Mike isn't as bad and he, yeah, he drives himself to and from dialysis. He runs errands. I mean, he's fully independent. So that's why Mm -hmm. it's weird. You know, we, we call me a caregiver. 
right? I am because he is fully independent. I, I go on business trips. I don't need to worry about him. It's just this is a, a new kind of facet of partnership, I think, of why God put us together, of what he needed in me as a spouse, yeah. what I need for right. him as a husband, which is just, you know, a great guy who loves and supports me. And yeah, that that kind of thing of just how life is totally different. And I went through that in counseling, too. You know, we worked through the steps to mourn that my life mm-hmm. is not going to be the same. I'm sure as some of your listeners might be hearing this, they might be thinking, well, won't he get a kidney transplant or anything? And that is something, you know, we'll talk about because we are moving. When you do a transplant, you got to do a lot of tests, including like colonoscopy and such. And when we contacted the state of Missouri, they're like, well, he might need to do another one. I said, you're good, babe. We're going to wait. <laughs> we're not going to put you through that, you know, more, you know. So, I mean, we're going to investigate that if that's an option you know, for him to do. I've had a lot of conversations and research about if I would be a donor for him, would I want to be a donor for someone else? So he, God has put incredible people in my life that I've met at various conferences who've gone through these things. Mm -hmm. Can I also say too, though, this is where I love the body of Christ. As Aaron, you teased that a lot of people know me. Uh When I was at the LWML convention this summer, I literally had 50 people who I've never met in my life saying, are you the wife of the pastor in Vegas? We prayed for him. Mm -hmm. And when I was on my flight home, I actually shared this on my Facebook page. I'm standing in line. I'm a Southwest girl. I'm in my little cattle call of A whatever. And I thought about those previous days and I just started crying because I was so overwhelmed with just the kindness and what God did with all those people praying for Mike outside of our circle that and we have. And don't we, <laughs> we do. And don't we see that on your page? I mean, uh, I, I was looking at a post the other day about a mom who's like, oh my goodness, being a mom is hard. And, yeah. and the support she got from people she's never met before, yeah. that means a lot to a caregiver. Right. Even though, yes, God and I have had some interesting conversations, I, again, never not know his blessings. And those blessings also are people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that's an incredible thing that we have as well in this community mm-hmm. of Christians. You mentioned that you have been very proactive in taking care of your mental health throughout this crisis. Good for you. Because oh, I think that you. is often the last thing on the to-do list for a new caregiver mm-hmm. is find a therapist. How? Do you maintain your, and we talk about this a lot in the in the military chaplaincy world that I am adjacent to, how mm-hmm. do you maintain your spiritual resilience as you go through mm-hmm. this? How do you keep wow. your well, relationship I mean, again, with I the mean, Lord? Obviously, you have those hard conversations, but mm-hmm. how do you keep your your faith and your, your soul alive and well as you're going through these very tough challenges? I think God has blessed me with incredible width and breadth of people who are easy to put a mirror in front of my face saying, Amy, get over yourself. You know, God's got this, right? <laughs> um, having those high, but I think too, like I said, I think having those people too, Rachel, of those people I don't even know praying, I think that to me is a big thing. I'm very big on trying to spend a few minutes in the word every day. I've been doing that my whole life. And I find myself going back to certain books more than I ever did. I I'm a big Paul fan. I love Philippians because it's always been the book of joy. Yeah. But I've really been going to that book more and more and more and more and more. Ruth, been going to that book a lot. I find that I am finding comfort in finding the things of what I'm going through at this point in my life in the Bible that is pertaining to what I need now. 
I think too, working for Lutheran Braille Workers, I've been in I've been in this world for over 20 some odd years. I've had the honor of working at four Concordias. I worked at Synod and Mission Advancement. That's how I got to know Sarah and Aaron and Bree. Bree and I worked yep. together. Mm-hmm. I think when you're also in this world of, of a Christian organization, you can't escape God <laughs> by whether we have devotions, we pray before meetings, we talk about things we do. So I think maybe I'm exceptionally blessed in that way because I'm in that world. Does that mm-hmm. kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I also get, you know, to travel a lot. I speak at churches. I get to talk to other pastors. I get to talk to other people in the pew, hear their stories. And I think that also helps too, because when I met some women and men on the road, and this kind of comes up because the pastor usually knows my husband or me so that, you know, they kind of mention it. I'm always like, well, we're here for Lutheran Braille Workers, but yeah, let's pray for Mike, you know. <laughs> People come up and talk to me and share their stories. And I think where that Holy Spirit, right, he gives you the words you need in that moment. Mm-hmm. And he's not letting me down on that. So I think that's been helpful too. There's also tons of resources. You know, there's a great book by Kim Markshausen called Weary Joy from Concordia Publishing House that talks about caregiving. Other books I've been reading and and doing, but I really do think it's just the body of Christ that Mm -hmm. has kept that up. And again, I'm blessed to be a part of that in a different way than most people. So you said that you have absolutely experienced, you know, feelings of anger towards God. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like starting the, your current I don't know, your current relationship with your faith, with the body of Christ, does that in some ways make it easier to be angry with God or safer to be angry with God because you don't have to, I don't know, maybe it makes it, I, I feel like some pe- sometimes there would probably be a temptation to feel like that is an invalid or an, either an invalid or a wrong feeling. Mm-hmm. And having your faith already be something that is a deep, strong part of your life and having that body of Christ that you're very connected with. I don't know, does that impact your ability to process those feelings in your relationship with God at all? I think that's a good, I'm shaking my head as you're talking. (laughs) You know, I, I mentioned, you know, when Mike went on the vent, I mentioned that crazy conversation I had with God, because again, we all, you know, we're sinful, we hope when that time comes, we do. And and when God, when that happened, I think, Aaron, knowing that I knew God's will would be done and I trusted in that, uh-huh. I do believe that through all this, it has given me that space where I, I, I don't feel guilty getting angry at him. I feel guilty of maybe the way I've, I've talked to him and said things. And I, I, you know, Kristen Bell had this great thing on a television show once where she said, on an emotional scale from a zero to 10, I'm a 14, you know, and that's, that's me. <laughs> I mean, I, I could cry at the drop of a hat now. And, and I, I can think of at least three times where I literally got on my knees, just crying, saying, God, I do not get this. I mean, the one was when we, he was off dialysis. It was our first appointment within that week. And the numbers just weren't good. And the kidney doctor said, don't worry about it. I'm fine with it. But my gut, which I've always said too, everybody says their guts are different things. My gut has never been wrong. And I really think that's also how God maybe steers me on some things. But I remember coming home and I just cried for like an hour and I was on my knees. I I fell on my knees on our stairwell. And I said, 
I know this isn't right. I know something's wrong. I know you're telling me that, but I don't know what you want me to do with this. Mm. Why am I feeling this way? And tell me what to do to make it better. The kidney doctor won't listen to me. This person won't listen to me. You know, I'm, I'm terrified of being around Mike with this. What do you want of me? I mean, I still remember. And I, I remember when my little fit was done, I actually fell asleep. I leaned <laughs> on a stair. I think I just exhausted. And I woke up and I felt peace. And, you know, and I kind of got off the stairs and I, I leaned up against a wall and I said, OK, God, all right. I got my little temper tantrum out of the way. And so when that acidosis thing happened, mm-hmm. I wasn't really shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, because I had that time. I know that sounds kind of weird. I was more scared of what people were seeing. And I was actually more concerned about the congregation than I was Mike, because that didn't shock me that that happened because mm-hmm. there was something telling me something wasn't right. Yeah. So I do think that having that space of having the different things I have made it easier for me because I can't tell you, I never got mad with God with my dad. Mm-hmm. I never got, I mean, I can't even remember when I did get mad at God to be completely honest with you. Or really worry. I mean, this whole situation just turned everything upside down in so many ways. And as a human, have I, I've not had some proud moments. I wish there were some moments I could take back of how I probably talked to people, not just Mike, but maybe the people at the dialysis center at the hospital. Also too, though, when you're at the hospital crying because everything happened wrong, people have a lot more sympathy for you. <laughs> <laughs> somebody help me. <laughs> They have a tendency to be like, we got to start, we're good. So, <laughs> so I don't know if that really answers, but I do think that is, you know, it, at 51 years old, mm. who has had God in her whole life, you know, starting when she was little with her parents, making her get up at six in the morning to study Bible <laughs> verses and such. That was very something to me that I knew God doesn't get mad at us when we get mad at him. But at the same mm-hmm. point. I never really have had. So I guess to me, too, this has been a growing thing in my faith of something I never expected to go through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that kind of answer what you were? It does. It does. Well, and it actually lets me follow up with what I was going to ask you earlier, mm-hmm. but now it's even more appropriate. One thing that I keep noticing, and you said a moment ago, you said to be completely honest with you. And that seems to be a phrase that fits you very well. You know, I hear your story and I hear about your willingness to be honest with healthcare workers, to be honest with your husband and to be honest with God about what you're going through. How important is it in a caregiving scenario to be honest and not to just shove things under the rug and not to yeah. not to try to, you know, put lipstick on a bad situation when you really need to speak truth about it? You know, that's something I'm so cognizant of that I'm not covering for Mike. I would hope, I'm sure, for example, people at church would say, well, we saw how pale Pastor Mike was and Amy said he was okay. Well, I knew he was okay. He was pale because he probably had dialysis. You know, after you get your blood taken out, you're going to be pale. But I knew he was okay. You know what I mean? Like there was nothing bad or anything like that. So I never, you know, cover up for Mike. And he, he expects that of me when we have a conversation. The only time, you know, I've really, I mean, this is where, again, I'm blessed beyond measure. I've only had to call him out was when he probably should have gone to the doctor before he did that April 3rd. Like he was really sick for a Mm. week. He should have gone to the doctor. Oh, and if we all look at April 3rd in the calendar, that was the weekend before Holy Week. 
So that is also why. Yeah. Rachel, I knew you would laugh as a pastor's wife. Oh, yeah. Because Holy Week is a big week. If it can wait until after Easter, you'll wait. Yep. And so I guess that's another point of the story. Try to wait. (laughs) I've been very honest about that. And Mike owns it. I got to give it to him. I mean, and, and I will say, too, I mean, like our primary doctor who we... I, you want to talk about a mess when we move. I'm literally just, even though he's a Cubs fan and I'm a Cardinals fan, I love him. <laughs> and saying goodbye to him is going to be Aww. very hard because he he loves Mike and me. I mean, he does. He's our doctor. But, you know, I remember too, I mean, he's seen Mike and I kind of nitpick back and forth, you know, of, of these things. And he allows that space. You know, he's kind of like, he's not a marriage therapist, but he's like, you know, Mike, Amy is saying this and Amy realized this is where Mike is. And so we've, you know, that's been helpful too. But I really never, you know, except for again, the, you know, him not going to the doctor soon enough and everything else, he's just in in that stubbornness, right? When he had the thing at the pulpit with the acidosis, I really haven't had to call him out too much on that. And, you know, that is where honesty is because if you're not honest with the doctors, they can't give you the right care. The mm-hmm. only person you're hurting is yourself if you do not tell the truth about where mm-hmm. you are. When we do, for example, the blood pressure record, I have his blood pressure of every day since April 29th when he was released from rehab. Two to three times a day, I have it in a Word or an Excel document. And he has a vascular doctor because, again, type 1 diabetes, blood flow, blah, blah, blah. We have that. He gave us a blood pressure cuff that goes back to his office. So not only am I recording it, if he sees something funny, he gets a call. Mike gets a call from the nurse at the office saying, hey, we noticed your blood pressure was this. Is everything okay? Hmm. But we have to be honest on that record, right? Because then Mike won't get the right care. Even again, I'm going to say urination again. If Mike isn't sharing exactly what he's doing every day, then that doesn't give the kidney doctor a clear idea. So again, you're pointing out another blessing I have in my life is that I do have a guy who is honest and upfront and will say, yeah, I didn't do that or I didn't do that or this and that. So, but honesty is because I I hate to use this term, you know, we hear of Karens, right? Those that, you know, and and I'm familiar with the term. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I always, I always say I'm teetering on that. We had a kidney doctor before that he actually... I have no problem saying this. When we were talking about Mike's high blood pressure and he had never met us. See, that's the other thing too. Mike had been seeing a kidney doctor for 10 years. The minute Mike went into dialysis, he had to use the kidney doctor that was at dialysis. So we didn't even have our old kidney doctor. Ugh. You know, the records and stuff. I could not, can you, I'm sorry. I'm sure people are hearing this. See that to me, maybe because I don't understand and I'm sorry, medical professionals, but to me, it's like, what? So when we met him, he'd only talked to us one time for 10 minutes. And when we were going over things, and again, that's why I said earlier, too, it's important that doctors know I'm not questioning them. I'm just asking questions. I felt like he thought I was questioning. And he, honest to goodness, said to me, well, maybe you're the reason he caught you caused the high blood pressure. <gasps> and I remember yes. home, I remember Mike because Mike drives. And I remember Mike drives back and forth to dialysis. So I go to this appointment once a month. I come home and please know I'm not trying to rat out this doctor, but it was one of those where I came home. I see Mike. He's in the kitchen. He's making dinner. And I just start crying. I said, oh, my gosh, if I'm doing this to you, I'm going to start crying now. If I'm doing this to you, I am so sorry. That is not what I'm doing. And he had to care for me saying, Amy, it's not you. Like, you know, that he was off. He doesn't know us. He doesn't know our dynamic. Please don't do this to yourself. So Mike had to become the caregiver to me. 
because I'm thinking if I'm even a part of this, which <sighs> people who know us might say, yeah, we can probably elevate my life. <laughs> but, you know, to have that be told to me, and that's where I was so grateful where when I finally got to do the kidney doctor we had, because we met him in the hospital in April. So he took us under his care and he was great. You know, he, he kind of said, I got you. I know how you are. I know you're not questioning me. Please know, I, you know, we'll be better from now on. So I think, you know, when Mike did that, I needed to hear that mm-hmm. because that was an important piece that I thought, oh my goodness, I failed him. And so that term, like I said, carrot or not telling the truth or doing that, it's a very fine line. And again, that's why maybe I'm going to say it a third time on this podcast, because I really want to get that through, that I do thank God for medical professionals and what they do. And it's not a perfect system. You know, but for me, it's like Mike is not a car. He's a human being. Yeah. And everybody, you know, needs to be treated like that when they're doing that. So I know that kind of answer a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that extreme honesty, I. I see it in your willingness to share so much of your story with us, which is so refreshing. And also in the lives of the people who are praying for you. Because if you were not the person you are willing to be honest about what you're going through, you would be denying the body of Christ the opportunity to be part of your story through prayer and in faith. And I think it's a real wonderful model. For me, I tend to be a very private person. (laughs) Well, as, say, when as I, I would tell you, I mean, I show the good and the bad and the ugly on my social media. I think that's kind of maybe how we talked about this, because I, I shared a story on Instagram after my counseling mm-hmm. session. My face is just blotched. I had been crying. And and I, I do that not to be like, oh, look at me, look at what I'm going through. But I mean, I, I asked for those prayers. I want to be transparent. And what really meant a lot to me after that is I had 15 people write me saying, thank you for sharing about, yeah. I did the rapid eye movement kind of therapy to to deal with that. And them telling me their stories of what they went through. I had no idea. And, you know, I feel like too, again, maybe I won't be as transparent when Mike's not in the pulpit. I'm going to be very honest about that. Maybe I won't need to be, you know, yeah. because so many people, we, we just feel it's good to be transparent to the church. Because again, these members love us. Sure. They get scared too, you know, things like that. Yeah. Knowledge can be power. But yeah, I... You know, I, I am honored to be honest to talk about this because, again, I, I know people who have loved ones battling cancer and all this. And I, I see how they're just like, we trust in you, God, and we love you. And I love that. And I, I'm that person, too. But I'm also on that other side. Um, you know, like, man, God, why today? You know, we made so much progress. Mm, I, I, guess, like I just um, said that in the last couple of weeks about my- yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, there there are so many ups and downs and it's exhausting having to deal with stuff that like a normal person and a normal couple just doesn't have to deal with. Like there's just there's so many layers of extra on top of like you have your marriage relationship, you have all your other vocations that normal everyday life happens. And then there's all of these extra layers that you also get to deal with. And, mm-hmm. you know, and there's blessings that come in with that. There's relationships that like you're talking about being able to meet all of these people and you're, you built, you're able to build connections in a way that other people maybe don't just because you have this extra cross that you're bearing that you're able to walk with people in, in their burdens in a different way. And, you know, I've found that too, that a lot of people talk to me in a different way just because mm-hmm. they know I'm not going to judge them for like, 
having a horrible day because they're dealing with something. And I also like, they don't have to explain themselves to me. I get it. Yeah. Like I know, I know what it's like to just be weary mm-hmm. and lament to God about mm-hmm. like, this is terrible. Like I'm having a terrible day, God, what is happening? <laughs> like, No, like, and th- can I thank you? I need to see, but to me, this is, I, I love hearing you say that selfishly. Because I don't feel alone in the boat. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I pray with this conversation, even if one person mm-hmm. who's maybe going through Sarah, what you're going through, or even, you know, Aaron and Rachel in your lives or what I am, that'll be like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, it was hard. You know, that's one thing, too. I've had people say, you know, what what do you like when people want to support you? You know, besides prayers, one thing I just want to say, and this is going to maybe be controversial, but it's lovely when people offer food to give, let's say Michael wasn't on dialysis. If you're going to do that, please put him in dishes that I can just throw away and not that I have to wash and take back. (laughs) And then I feel like the creep who's saying, oh, that's so kind of you to make us food, but please don't. (laughs) Because I have to wash your dish. I have to bring it to you. I have to make sure you have it. We'll have to talk because I like you a lot and I want to talk, but I may not have the time to talk, but then I'll feel guilty about talking and then I'll be so guilty that I'm talking and I'm going to come home and I'm going to lament on that. So. You know, those are the things, too, I think when, you know, when you go through this, you're, you know, what works for you may not work for another person. But, you know, that's an example that I've had to share with people saying it's not that I don't mind food and I'm so grateful that's their love and they want to share it and they want to do it. But that extra layer of the work mm-hmm. is so daunting to me. Who would think mm-hmm. that just cleaning a stupid dish and driving it to the nicest person on the world would just take everything out of me to do oh, that? Absolutely. I hate how frequently I do just my own dishes. I can tell you. It's a lot. It's a, it's a big yeah. ask. Yeah. That's just an example, right? Um, <laughs> you know, just kind of being aware. So I'm sure that, I'm yeah. sure you might get some not nice comments on that. But I mean, it's no, just, it's no. just kind of, uh, yeah. It's yeah. great. Uh, great policy, ladies out there. Save your like Chinese takeout containers, wash them out, and uh-huh. stick them in the back pantry for sure. delivering for meal trains, you know? Uh-huh. So they, exactly. there's uh-huh. just right. awesome. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So you've talked a lot about all of your experiences with this. You did mention counseling. Mm-hmm. What else do you do to care for yourself? How else, what are your other strategies that you use to, to manage this stress and mm-hmm. burden that you are experiencing? So counseling, excellent. I assume there's other things besides that. Uh, so shopping is my cardio. Oh. <laughs> I love to shop. I mean, I don't buy stuff I don't need, but no, I think for me, that's just something I enjoy reading. You know, one thing oh. on a plane, I usually am working that the past few trips, I've actually been reading a book. Really? <laughs> you might think, oh, why don't you read a book at night? Well, because I'm working all day and then I need to update that kidney binder, which by the way, Mike, if you're listening to this, when you retire, sweetheart, that sucker is yours. You're yes. going to up <laughs> uh, I'm not doing yes. it. You know, you'll have all this time in the world. But no, but I think, you know, but read, I mean, doing that. I think, too, I I give myself permission to do screen time. I love, you know, looking at Facebook and Instagram and seeing what people are doing and catching up with them and doing those things. I will say, too, though, I've always been a workaholic and that has probably been the biggest blessing. I I do want to give a shout out. You know, when I when I left Synod in March, I was going to start with Lutheran Braille workers. I think it was going to be like April 14th. And I had this whole thing planned. I was actually going to go to Disneyland. I haven't been forever. I was going to take a couple of days for myself. 
I was going to, you know, I, I cleaned out my office. I was going to go through our house. I was going to purge. I was going to do all this stuff I never had time for. Yeah, that all went to, you know, went away. And so my boss, who also has been a friend and he adores Mike as well, he was like, what do you need? And I said, can we start May 1st? I don't know how I can do this. Mm-hmm. And he graciously was like, yep. Yeah, you start whenever you wanted. And in fact, my first day, I was supposed to be there for a few days. I flew in and out just to sign paperwork, just to mm-hmm. have that. So I think for me being in a, and I would have had that at Citadel too. You know, I would have had that anywhere I've worked. I mean, I, that's the beauty about Christian organizations. But I think for me, work has been a blessing because I am able to go to these churches. I am able to talk to people. I'm able to be mm-hmm. in a car for an hour or two driving through beautiful northern Minnesota and seeing the leaves and listening to a podcast I want to listen to or listen to the radio with the windows down yelling. And, you know, I, you know, I don't sing in the car. I perform. So, you know, <laughs> doing so I think those are the little things, to be honest, getting to do that, just stuff that I've always enjoyed, just keeping doing that. Mm-hmm. And also, my goal is before we move to go to still Disneyland. I still want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> to get. It's going to get a lot harder to get to once you get to St. Louis. I know. That's why you got to go to proximity. I know. But no, I think that's the important part. And I have, I have wonderful friends who make sure to say, are you taking time? I mm-hmm. have an exceptional good friend where, all right, hello, my name is Amy and I like Bravo TV. It's probably not the best thing. Sorry, Bravo. But my, we have BravoCon here in Las Vegas. My friend sends me a ticket for three days to go to BravoCon. Wow. And she forced me. Sorry, I know we're on a podcast. And I probably shouldn't talk about, you know, various networks, but she bought me this ticket to go and said, you're going. And it was awesome. It was three days of me. I, uh-huh. I had a hotel room, even though I was still in Vegas, but I could walk around. I could uh-huh. you know, be a part of this. So I have people in my life that forced me mm. to, to do things that I need to do. And I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like being present in daily life. That sounds like one of the things of it can be very consuming when you're dealing with a chronic illness mm-hmm. all the time that you can kind of like just dive into the pit of research and constant statistics and paying oh. attention to symptoms. Oh. And, yes. and at some point you're like, wait, life is happening around me. And I've just been totally oblivious because I've been so consumed with medical, etc. Yeah. So it is good to hear just like this, the the ways you're able to pull yourself out of that pit, but then also having friends that like force you to Mm -hmm. step away from the daily grind of, of all the medical stuff. And that's, I think a good thing for our ladies to understand that even if you don't, if you're not currently in a situation like this in your own family, you probably know somebody that's Mm -hmm. dealing with a caregiving situation. There's a lot of like sandwich generation people, Mm -hmm. a lot of kids taking care of their parents or taking care of their children. I was like that, that sandwich generation, be that friend to somebody else. <laughs> if you see that someone needs a break, like facilitate that for mm-hmm. them, yeah. you know, with their permission, maybe don't just like force them to do something against their will. And, you know, they hate you for it or something. Don't do that. But be willing to like step into their world a little bit and pull them out of the pit of despair of medical stuff because mm-hmm. it can get very consuming very, very easily when it's just your daily life. Well, and if you do searches of articles, you know, I mentioned a New York Times article that was written, you know, where they showed statistics, right? Like 53 million people serve in a caregiving role. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's one of the most, it's the number one healthcare yeah. assistance that's out there. 
Yeah. And I do think we all know somebody somehow. And I do want to say just because maybe some people know me, I, I have migraines. And so, you know, I understand just, you know, when I'm out, I'm out and God bless Mike, you know, he does what he can for me, you know, brings me ice packs and make sure I have the dark room and, and do all those things. And I have learned more about migraines than I ever wanted to. And it's the same with kidneys. We had, I, I had a lovely friend, two friends the night that Mike went on the ventilator who came to the hospital immediately to be with me. And one came home with me. My mother also lives with, I guess my mom lives with me too. So let's just say, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> adorbs. She's the cutest little thing ever, but let's not, you know, that's, that's, you know, God bless Mike and I, we weren't planning on this all happening, you know, with my mom living with us. But as my one friend and I came home to tell my mom what happened, my other friend stayed and she is a nurse. And she actually has said to me, she stayed with Mike, you know, like an hour after he was on the vent, he was giving thumbs up. He was responding. You know, she said he's doing really good. But as a nurse, she said to me, you know, you probably know more about kidneys that even some professionals like you know more. So when I'm asking these questions about creatinine and his album, right, and his potassium, it's because I've had to research so much. Mm -hmm. I can't be a good caregiver for him if I don't understand what these numbers mean. And even when I get worried about some of these numbers, that's when the doctor could say, okay, hold on, let me just give you this graph so you understand everybody is different. So I, I can understand what Mike Scholes is going through, right? I can understand his body chemistry. I can be aware of that yet still having that knowledge. But I've learned more in the, than I ever wanted to. So now whenever I meet somebody who's on dialysis or something, I never put my husband's situation on them. I hear their story, but at least I can say to them, oh my goodness, you know, how's your port doing? Or, you know, how are you feeling? Are you fatigued? And you can just see that relaxation of, you know, we kind of formed a community, which Sarah, I'm sure you understand, you know, with mm -hmm. any in my migraine community. So I think that empathy is so important along with the sympathy, but having that empathy is something that is very important when you talk to someone, because we've all seen that meme, right? Be kind to somebody because you never know what they're going through in that day. Yeah. yeah. And have I been that person in the grocery store line, start crying for no reason? Yep. You know, have I have I been that person waiting at Walgreens to get my meds who just starts thinking about stuff and gets teary eyed? Yep. I mean, again, on an emotional scale, I'm probably a 13 at times. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, doesn't take a lot anymore. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I haven't cried yet. I came close, but yeah, so. <laughs> Good job. We talk about how many people are caregivers and what a broad and diverse calling that is. And it's so easy to sort of let them fade into the backdrop to just not notice them, take them for granted. And yet I think the, only, the, the way to avoid this is to imagine what the scenario would be like in this world without caregivers. Mm -hmm. I had a friend this summer who was going through pancreatic cancer and mm -hmm. she, she's with the Lord now, but when mm -hmm. she was going through that, she was alone. Mm -hmm. She had the church and the church stepped up in a big way, but she did not have a single caregiver mm -hmm. in her life to be that advocate, to be mm -hmm. that 24-7 companion. And it really, as much as I rejoice to see the church step up and be with her, I ate. I thought, oh, please let me be in a position that, you know, my parents, my, you know, mm -hmm. then I can fulfill that calling for someone else when the time comes, because it's very, very hard to go through this without a caregiver. 
And so imagining what your husband's life would be like without you in it, that should give you a little bit of energy, I would think, to say, <laughs> okay, this is hard, but it's better than the alternative so much. You know, it my again, with my husband being older than me, he was married before. His beautiful first wife passed away in a car accident five years before I met him. And I remember when I went to, I moved to be near him, which made sense. And I, I went to a new doctor. He was his doctor. And I'll never forget after our first meeting, he said, you are nothing like Patty, which was not a bad thing. Yeah. She it just, but, you know, she was not this person who was like, I guess, you know, here and, there. and he didn't say it in a bad way, but he just said, I really believe God put you in Mike's life for a reason. We just don't know what that is yet. Mm-hmm. And when all this happened, you know, I reached out to him and I said, hey, <laughs> 15 <laughs> years later, I think we know. I mean, Mike has had surgeries like if you know me, he's had a few health things. He's had some ankle surgeries. He's had craziness with that. Nothing made sense. But, you know, I think that that's something I said to him, like, here's what we know. And, you know, I said to Mike the other night, I, I kind of said, you know, as we're getting ready for his celebration this weekend of retirement, he doesn't retire till December 31st, but we're having a weekend. And I did a PowerPoint where I dedicated it to his parents and to her. Because, you know, obviously she's sainted in heaven. They had a wonderful life. And I, you know, I looked at Mike and I said, she had some good years. <laughs> I just think like, well, I've had some good with you, but wow, you know, it's kind of weird. I wish she was here, but then I wouldn't be married to you. But at the same point, she would understand. I mean, it's not weird, but that's the first thing I thought of, right? And and I, I also think about that. I do not have children. When I met Mike, I've never really felt that in my heart to want that. And when I met Mike, he was 54, probably could even have kids. I was 35. And I think about that for myself, Rachel, like, you know, I, I have a good friend. Her daughter will probably become my power of attorney because I've already warned her I'm going to move in with her. <laughs> going to be that Goldie girls with only two of us in some nursing home and she's stuck with me for the rest of my life. But no, I think of that. And I will tell you too, when I'm in a dialysis center, there are times where I just look around and I'll, I'll just see someone and I'll just be like, hi, you know, my name is Amy. My husband's here. I'm waiting for the doctor. Can I sit with you? And they just want, you just hold their hand. That's all they want. Because they don't have anybody. Yeah. They they don't. I, I met a gentleman. He only has one kidney. He's been on dialysis for 20 years. He sleeps the whole time. He's probably 60 pounds soaking wet. But just the neatest guy. And he just can't, like hold my hand while I fall asleep. I mean, it's as simple as that. It, yeah. it doesn't have to be these big grand gestures. And, you know, again, with those women that were with me the night Mike went on the vent, you know, I didn't need them to tell me it was going to be okay. I didn't need them to do whatever I needed them to hold my hand. And also those times when Mike was on the van, I had a hard time being in the room and our circuit visitor, who's, you know, a pastor, but a good friend. But I had also other friends who said, okay, if things go south, I can't be in that room. I need, will you be there to mm-hmm. be with Mike and all that? So, I mean, being also, I think it's important as caregivers, sometimes we don't want to bother people. We don't want to ask people to do things. But I, I thankfully had that to where I knew I'd be received. And I will be honest with you too. I, I've said to this group of friends that I have, I, I feel like I've been taking more than I've been giving. I mean, I've just been asking and asking and asking. And of course, they're lovely. They're like, no, you're not. You're fine. And that's hard because I'm a giver. I love to give. I don't love to take. And I think that's been a hard thing is I've had to take and it's okay mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. And I look forward again, you know, being in St. Louis will be great. Mike's family's there. He has friends of over 30 years there. I will have a support system there. 
from yeah. friends I know at Synod. So I, I'm excited to see what this next chapter will be, not just for him, of course, but for me. Mm-hmm. And I think this is going to look different. Again, he can do the binder. <laughs> he can do these things. You know what I mean? But that's going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. This is just a personal anecdote. But when you're talking about God putting two people together, my husband grew up on a restricted diet because his dad was diagnosed with like probably something similar to what I have, but like, you know, environmental okay. illness back in the eighties when it was barely a thing. Mm-hmm. So he, he basically lived his childhood on a restricted diet, marries me. And lo and behold, I have chronic illness and he's like restricted diet. What? You, that's, that's fine. That's, that's normal. normal. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, you want to just... know the, ir- the irony is Mike's first wife, she had migraines. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he gets it. I mean, yeah. um, God does those things. And, you know, here's the thing, too. I, I think, Rachel, you brought up a point about your precious friend who's now with Jesus. You know, I was single till I was 35, right? I I think sometimes I know a lot of amazing people that are single that God has not provided the spouse. And I, I think sometimes as a church, you know, we focus so much on merit, right? And that the, the fulfilling relationship. And I would hope for those that are single listening to this, you know, who would do that, do have a church, do have a support system that have that fulfillment too of if, if they needed a caregiver that somebody would step up and and it sounds like for you i mean for your friend being there for her praying for her you know that's that's a huge thing and and i hope those that don't have somebody that's in a marriage relationship but is single that they're able to have those resources and if not talk to your church you know talk to a social worker at the hospital talk to those because you can hire Caregivers, it's not the cheapest, but at the same point, if you need little things, there are programs that you can do that through. One of the reasons that story came to my mind is that you remind me a little bit of her in the way that you let people into your story. (laughs) And that by doing that, you create an opening into which the church can just come right in Mm -hmm. and be there for you when you need them. If you Mm -hmm. don't let them know that you have needs, People, church people, you know, they don't want to pry. They don't want to force mm-hmm. their way in. They don't want to badger you. But if you are honest and open about what you're going through, that invites other people to step up and mm-hmm. walk with you in a way that it doesn't if you shut them out. And yeah. so I think watching yes. you, you know, share your story with all of our listeners has reminded me of that truth to make sure that you are transparent enough that your brothers and sisters in Christ can walk with you. That and that you like you're doing that. You're sinful, right? And that right, you're not yeah. perfect and you can. And, you know, I think the other side of this too is what's been a blessing is being able to be a witness of our faith. I remember, I think it was the second night because Mike was on an event for three days. I think it was the second night my friend and I were leaving and I said to him, I love you, Schulte. And he mouthed, I loved you over the event, but he was still sedated. And the nurse looked at that and said, could you say that again? You know, and I said, I love you, Schulze. God bless you. And he said, I love you. God bless you. And she was like, he should not be responding to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, my brain goes, oh, my gosh, is everything okay? <laughs> but, you know, as we were talking and I said, well, you know, that's a big thing with us. But also, too, that God bless you. And we ended up talking to her, you know, of course, when they you know, you put on the forum, he's a pastor, you know, he has his ring. I mean, people see that. But the conversations we were able to have with staff that maybe they couldn't have, you know, you have to be careful on that. But when you're in the safety of your room and the nurses that would 
come back on their lunch and pray for us. You know, the, mm-hmm. the therapist that would that would do that. Again, I don't want to get anybody in trouble with that, but it was on their time. But the fact that you could have those conversations and also show, you know, be a witness to what God has done. And I mean, to be honest, everything that has happened with Mike, I mean, it's just been incredible of how he's just bounced back and how he's doing. And again, that's why I need to focus on that <laughs> and not the negative. But being able to be a witness to has been a big thing. And even like I, with the dialysis center, and again, please know I'm not trying to rag on them, but at the same point, trying to help them understand that everything I'm coming from is from a place of love, but that love is deep rooted in Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's the love I'm trying to show them. And that's the love I'm trying to show all of these other people and Mike and that I just need to just honor him and what he's done through Mike. And to do that, you know, that you've heard that thing, right? You can pray to God and ask for an A on a test, but if you didn't study for the test, right? Right? <laughs> You got to study for it, you know, and you just say, okay, God, because you have to prepare. And that's how I look at it. I need to be prepared. But that's when I can also say, okay, God, I hope I'm doing what you want me to do. But ultimately, this is your thing. Tell me what to do. And so I think that's been a big thing, too, is you can just share the love of Christ in ways that maybe you couldn't before. Yeah. Gives you a lot of witnessing opportunities when you're with people in hard times. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and those also yeah. medical staff, sometimes they need someone to talk to and pray for. Yep. And <laughs> yep. everybody needs a caregiver. Yep. Yes. Yep. You know, that's true. Yeah. And I'm also hoping when we move to St. Louis, I can get a dog. See, that's going to be my <laughs> thing. I want a dog. We yeah. tried. You do work. know that dogs require care, right? Yes. <laughs> They love you so much. They do love you so much. And it'll make me walk and it'll make me. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I will say for people who probably are like, why isn't she exercising? Because I'm tired. (laughs) I try. I do try to walk every day. But the thought of going to a gym with everything on my plate exhausts. (laughs) because they say endorphins make you feel better Mm -hmm. yeah i crawl into bed and go to sleep at 7 30 at night i mean that yeah so yeah sleep also makes you feel better (laughs) it does but no so no a dog i'll to walk the dog i'll have to love on the dog the dog will be (laughs) me companionship while mike goes Uh, to see those cardinal games and i want a dog (laughs) well we are well over an hour so i'm sorry and wrapping oh no 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 this is great in wrapping this up, do you have any final thoughts or comments, wisdom, things you want people to know about the vocation of caregiver, Any anything additional? Oh, and resources too. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I don't really have any wisdom. And I thank you again for this time. And I pray that those, you know, listening, that maybe you just it resonates yes. with one and that, you know, everybody's journey is different. I invited you here. No yeah. wisdom at all. Nope, none. No wisdom at all. talking about unwise things. <laughs> no. And I think, you know, everybody's in their own journey and just to show love and be kind. I think that's the easiest thing. I think too, yeah, like I already mentioned, I mean, CPH has that book. Loser and Hour Ministries has some great tracks on caregiving. I'll tell you, social media, I, I belong to spouses of dialysis, spouses of type ones. TikTok has some really great caregiving. I mean, I'm sure some people feel certain ways about social media and I respect that. But for me, it's been great mm-hmm. to kind of get some of those things and get ideas, especially with recipes for Mike. I mean, that's yeah. I found the dietitian company we're working with on TikTok, which is yeah. so funny. Uh-huh. So and they've been a huge blessing to us. So I think just finding, you know, what you can, it's okay to talk to someone. It's okay to be vulnerable. I'll, you know, I, I told the counselor I, I visited with, even though I'm moving, I still want to do a check-in once in a while. 
you know, just to make sure to check myself before I wreck myself in a way, <laughs> make sure everything is good. But I, I just think it's, you know, I, again, I thank you for this time because I think it is important to talk about the hard stuff of caregiving, that it's not always, oh, yeah. I'm so blessed to be married to this man and I'm just so grateful for everything. I mean, I am, but there's also, it's hard and it's tiring. Yeah, yeah. And we have a great God who loves us and I thank him for sending his only son to die for us. And I know whatever happens to Mike and I, you know, we'll be with him one day. But in the meantime, while we're here, I, I just appreciate that the blessings that I do have and just a reminder that I need to focus on the good. Appreciate the good days. Appreciate the bad days. And again, just thank God for women like you and men and people that are going through this. And we're a team. Yeah. yeah. Amy, it's been really great having you on, hearing your story. I think a lot of people will resonate with like all of what you've said. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Ladies, we want to know your stories. If you are a caregiver, have been a caregiver, are married to a caregiver, we would love to know your own stories of caregiving as well. You can do that in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge on Facebook. You can also share your stories on Instagram and tag us there at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. And we'd love to see your stories there as well. You can sign up for our e-newsletter by sending us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel. Oh, and I just hit the mic <laughs> with my head. <laughs> Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org give.